Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on many popular podcast hosting sites, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blueberry, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and at www.vhha.com. You can also hear episodes of the podcast each Saturday at noon on WJFN 100.5 FM in the Richmond area. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. Again, that is pcfpodcast at vhha.com. And with that out of the way, today we are delighted to be joined by Dr. Param Jaberi, a board-certified preventive medicine physician who serves as chief deputy commissioner for the Virginia Department of Health. Behind the scenes, Dr. Jaberi has been one of the point people who's been helping coordinate the state's response to COVID-19. We'll discuss that work and more in a moment, but first, welcome to the program, Dr. Jaberi. Good morning, sir. Glad to have you today, and thank you for being with us. One of the things that I think many people have gained a new appreciation for in this crisis is the importance of frontline healthcare providers and public health experts. You are both, and I read an article the other day that looked at that through a political lens by highlighting how a crop of candidates for Congress are emphasizing their healthcare credentials as they campaign. Setting politics aside, I wonder what your thoughts and takeaways are about public health and perhaps the newfound public awareness of its importance as it relates to COVID-19 and the disruption it's caused. Sure. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's good to be here with you today. I came out of a residency and entered uh, in working with the Louisiana Department of Health and the Virginia Department of Health back and forth through my career. So I'm obviously biased towards the work that we do um, as healthcare professionals within health. Um, it is not uncommon that we see this resurgence of interest in what public health professionals do. Obviously, everyone is engrossed fully in the coronavirus pandemic, but just a few years ago, we were dealing with the threat of Ebola. We were talking about Zika the year later. And of course, many probably remember our responses in H1N1 pandemic and setting up the mass vaccination sites for individuals to receive the vaccine when it was developed. So Mm -hmm. uh, it is very often that we see this resurgence of interest and support for public health. And when it comes to disasters, both what I experienced personally with um, Hurricane Katrina and working for the Louisiana Department of Health here in in Virginia with the various public health threats, we see this uh, wax and wane. And I think what you also alluded to is really what's very unique about this particular setting is the immediate risk our frontline healthcare workers are experiencing or are putting themselves in place of simply is a call to duty. In in many of the other instances, risk to public health providers and healthcare workers such as Zika and Ebola, again, so it was very, very limited. But we're not talking about individuals who may potentially contract the illness at the rates we're talking about with coronavirus. So, I think it's important to, A, recognize all professionals who are working in this effort, healthcare and non-healthcare workers. It's certainly nice for us in public health to see this resurgence of interest because I think that will serve us well for future responses, for future disasters and building our public health infrastructure and to our frontline healthcare workers. I mean, um, hats off to them. I'm glad to see the local and national recognition for the work that they're doing and continuing to ensuring the health and safety of residents here in the Commonwealth and beyond. Absolutely, and and echo that message of appreciation for all of the frontline folks and also the importance and that renewed awareness of of public health and 
all of the the ebbs and flows that you mentioned over the years, whether it's H1N1 or Ebola or natural disasters, as you mentioned, you know, all of these have a public health response component. And you foreshadowed this in your response a second ago, but over the years, you've worked in public health roles in Virginia with the State Department of Health and, as you mentioned, with the Louisiana Office of Public Health. Protecting public health can take on many forms. During COVID-19, it's involved everything from treatment and testing capacity to surveillance and data monitoring and so much more. As people know, the effort to fight this virus has been comprehensive and multi-layered, bringing together many stakeholders with applicable subject matter expertise. While there isn't enough time to cover everything this process has entailed, from your perspective as someone who's been a central figure in the response work, I wonder what messages and information and perspective about COVID-19 at this point are critical for people to understand? You know, I, I think the uh, the truth is we always want to have when we are leading our, our public, our partners, and, and what people realize is this is a little different than the other sorts of pandemic planning we have done in, in public health. A lot of times our models have been based around pandemic influenza. And one of some of the key differences here, as opposed to even H1N1, is we hadn't until just last week as remdesivir was got approved. Whereas with the H1N1 pandemic, we at least had Tamiflu, Relenza, some of the other medications that we could implement. So we began this particular pandemic with just non-pharmaceutic intervention. And uh, while we're awaiting a vaccine, we're still going back to the very basics, social distancing, ensuring we maintain good hand hygiene. And so our plans and our responses to this really are, are unique and untested. And I can share with you that amongst some of my public health colleagues, as we saw this evolving in China and, and later on in Europe, we were wondering and questioning whether we here in the U.S. would be able to really have the same type of impacts through social distancing. So, you know, we've implemented many, many new measures as a response to this public health epidemic that have had impacts on so many other individuals on so many other sectors. So I guess the thing to share with, with the audience is they've realized while this is a public health emergency, it is truly something that is unprecedented, that is really testing all of our limits, both in terms of medical therapeutics as well as our, our planning with our partners to ensure that we are able to respond to it appropriately. And I'll conclude on the point here, maybe we can revisit, is public health is about bringing together partners, as you mentioned, whether public sector, private sector. Every day we deal with local governments. Every day our public health professionals are out there inspecting restaurants, dealing with businesses, getting new permits. Every day our public health professionals are out there providing health education, whether it's to the young mom who's just had a baby or it is to folks in who may have some immunocompromised conditions and we're trying to take them through some measures to reduce their readmission rates back into the hospitals. We are out there at all times uh, working with a variety of partners and what this coronavirus pandemic has really brought to light is that continued need to be as comprehensive and as coordinated as possible to have an effective response for the Commonwealth. That partnership has been really great to see uh, as someone who has been involved in some of the response work and, and you have been up to your neck in it. But just to see all of the various stakeholders and all the groups work together, whether it's healthcare providers or first responders or other professionals who may not be in the healthcare sector but still have contributions to make, all of that's been really great to see. For the perspective of our listeners, we're recording this on May 6th. Governor Northam has allowed scheduled medical procedures to resume with safety measures in place and has indicated that phase one of reopening of the economy could occur later this month. Obviously, there will need to be safety precautions that remain in place 
and those decisions will be informed by data on testing and treatment capacity and access to needed medical supplies. None of that means that people should become complacent or assume the virus has been vanquished, as you said, Dr. Jaberi, even though there is an initial approval for a medical treatment, a, a pharmaceutical treatment, there's still more work to be done in terms of developing a vaccine, and that could be months away. And since this, this virus is still present and contagious, what is your best advice for people as we inch towards resuming some aspects of everyday life so that they don't get complacent or they don't expose themselves to risk factors that could lead them to contracting this illness or could lead to backsliding on the gains that have been made so far? Sure. I think this is important to remind everybody to not forget about the basics of, of washing your hands, of staying home when you're ill. Obviously, all focus is on coronavirus right now, but that really relates to any sort of an illness, especially those in terms of infectious disease or communicable diseases. So we have to keep the very basics in mind. We realize that for many folks, when they are thinking about their next step, what they're very concerned about is their ability to return to work to earn a wage. And so discussions that we're having in public health is with the business communities, how can we bring individuals back in, in the safest manner. And so one thing to really realize, and as you shared just now, is it has to be a phased approach. It can't not be a on or off switch. It's, it's the example has been more that it's a, it's a dimmer, that we start slowly increasing it because we don't want to necessarily bring everyone back, have our businesses back, but then see a surge of patients that may go well and above the capacity that we can handle in our, in our healthcare sector. So we have to, to use a scientific term, titrate this response between opening up the economy, allowing people to resume their normal life and operations, but realizing, as you noted, that we may have to really temper that and keep in mind the basics where we can. Again, good hygiene, good cough etiquette, um, ensuring that if people are ill, they stay away from others, and really just using what I would say, both common sense and, and being two months into this, continuing to exercise patients. I think folks are talking about, you know, cabin fever. We're starting to see individuals in the community talking about various opportunities to get out in the outdoors and try to engage in physical activity, which is all important in, in terms of maintaining good health. But if you're going to do that, then make sure you still are socially distancing yourself from others, keeping six feet away from others who are not in your household and keeping these basics in mind. So I think as we move forth, as, as this pandemic progresses, all of those will be important practices. And I think, honestly, as everyone's been talking about, I think we're going to see some of these practices live on. As we start the next flu season, I think a lot of the lessons learned here today with the coronavirus pandemic could be very useful in curbing potentially the impact of the next infectious disease outbreaks here for us as well. So do we potentially the next of the height of the flu season? Do we consider teleworking options now that that has been tested and tried? Do we consider individuals to think more intentionally about some of the same social distancing measures that have been effective with the coronavirus? So I'm hoping that there is some silver lining out of all of this and that some of the lessons learned through the coronavirus response can be applicable to other responses as well later on this year and in the coming years. And that's great advice, folks. Be responsible, use common sense, practice good hygiene, wear a face covering when you're out in public. All of those are, are smart, responsible steps that don't take too much effort. I wear my mask when I have to travel out and about and go to the store. It's okay. It's not going to mess up your, your cool outfit. 
Before we go, Dr. Jabari, I have a couple more personal questions just to give our listeners a little bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work that you do. The first question for you, sir, is what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given and why is it important in your life? You know, I think just uh, in the realm of public health, of working with the many partners, I'll go back to one of my first bosses, Deputy Commissioner Jeff Blake, who hired me to Virginia, said, make friends before you need them. And I think that's true both in the workplace and just in a social environment is that you want to always have the appropriate contacts, appropriate relationships. And it's always good to have that pre-planning, that infrastructure ready to go. So I guess in the professional sense here is we want to make sure we have those connections with our emergency management officials, our local government. And what that really means is you build that level of trust. So when you need to respond, either in a potential disaster or maybe to an everyday task, you're able to be successful. So I think anticipating who are the people that you really need to make a personal connection with, and I think what I'll add to my element is that always seems to make it that much more effective when you're able to connect in mission and vision and and, and way of thinking with an individual then when a need comes for them to assist, it always or most often seems to work a lot better when that trust has already been established. Couldn't agree more. I I often say that life boils down to the three R's, which are relationships, reputation, and research. If you can do those three things, you're in pretty good shape. The next question for you, sir, is in the imaginary hypothetical scenario that you were on death row, what would your last meal be? You know, I'm a steak person, so it probably would be a filet mignon. Okay. And and how do you like your, your steak prepared? Medium. Okay. Medium. I, I, I tend not to rear towards the medium rare with a public health background, but in some places uh, I may venture that way, but I'm, I like it medium. Got to have a little pink in there. It's important. That's right. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Typically at this point of the podcast, we would ask you to share with us the one book, one album, and one movie that you would take with you to keep yourself company if you were stranded on a deserted island, which is, some might say, the ultimate form of social distancing. And we'd still love to hear your picks for that. But first, uh, my question for you is a slight offshoot on that, which is during these crazy times, what is the thing that helps you de-stress and unwind at the end of a hectic day? It could be a song you like to blast, a good book, a mindless TV show. What helps you mellow out these days? You know, it just so happens that I, I wound up moving into a new home late last fall, and there was uh, some, some minor home renovations that wanted to do mostly painting and taking down wallpaper. And so I had left that for the summer to do, and I said, you know, this is probably a better time than any to to start on that process. So that has been truly the kind of thing that's just a physical activity that can put away the the daily stressors. So that has been the best part. And, you know, taking the evening walks, I I truly firmly still think trying to get out there um, with my wife, getting some physical exercise is still one of the best and most effective forms of relaxation for me personally. Well, as a DIYer, I can can appreciate that. And there really is nothing like a, a good project to take your mind off of the stress and the complications of the day and just really pour your energy and your sweat into trying to accomplish that thing that's right in front of you. So I can appreciate that. And then before we let you go, I will pivot back to the deserted island question. Is there one book, one album, and one movie that you would take with you to keep yourself company if you were stranded on a deserted island? You know, I have a fondness for the Huckleberry Finn read that book in my teen years and, and later on it's just a sense of adventure and sense of 
the unique identity that is, is pronounced throughout the book. And I think when you talk about a deserted island, that will be one. I think in terms of the movie, I'm a fairly big fan of, of comedy. I enjoy uh, Wedding Crashers quite a bit. appreciate that. In terms of the album, you know, uh, I, I, I like the Beatles. I'm, I'm more of an oldies person. I need somebody help, not just anybody help. You know, I need someone help. And so, you know, probably any one of theirs would be one that would rise to the top for me. So that depends. Do you, you want to mellow out or are you trying to get excited for and really pumped up for a new event? So I'm thinking... More of the uh, relaxing, I guess, for all three of those. Okay. Well, we thank you for those picks. Uh, that is the second time that uh, we've gotten a Wedding Crashers reference uh, on the podcast, and you can't go wrong with, with Mark Twain or the Beatles. And so that is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are released. And we want to say thank you once again to our guest, Dr. Param Jaberi, who is the Chief Deputy Commissioner for the Virginia Department of Health, for joining us today. Thank you, sir. Thank you.